Funding for Sundays on the East End comes from CP Complete Construction and Renovation, specializing in interior and exterior living spaces. CP Complete focuses on the end result throughout the entire process. Individualized attention sets their boutique construction company apart with a focused, inclusive, innovative, and personalized process from start to finish. CP Complete builds what you have imagined. Learn more at cpcomplete.com or 631-727-5741. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alec Sokolow. But surprise, surprise, Alec is away, and uh, my wonderful co-host today is Mick Hargraves. Hi, Bridget. Hi. I'm so glad you're here, Mick. Thanks for having me. Well, if everybody, everybody, or if anybody doesn't know Mick, and everybody does, he's a kind of a local legend in the sound and music and engineering world out here. You play with, like, everybody, don't you? Almost. You do. You're kind of, like, known as being some, like, a catch-all musician type. That's what they say. That's what they say, <laughs> which is actually really apropos because we're going to be talking a lot about music today. We have a really special guest coming on in a little while, uh, my old dear friend Donna Gaines, Dr. Donna, who has just published a book, Why the Ramones, well, she didn't publish it, but she wrote a book, Why the Ramones Matter, and has always been just the biggest Ramones fan. I, I don't mean that in a light way. I don't mean like a groupie. I mean someone with like a, many degrees and master's degrees who really where the Ramones really deeply affected her. And as a musician, Mick, I'm curious, before we bring Donna on, when you were growing up, I mean, I, I've written an article about you, and I, about you lying on your gold shag I know, I, rug. I didn't, I didn't like it. What? I'm kidding. Oh, shut up. <laughs> you kidding. did so. I love it. Thank, <laughs> you, then thank you. You called and thanked me. No, but anyway, but about you lying on your like gold shag rug, listening, mm-hmm. you know, trying to dissect like the Beatles. What, what hit you? At a young age, what music hit you? Like a particular song or a particular group? or There were a, a few things. Um, I remember being very young and being woken up in the middle of the night by the reprise to uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, where at the end of the song it goes away and comes back, and it's like this weird recurring, like, carnival like a recurring psychedelic dream. I remember waking up and going, Dad, what is that? That was one moment. Um, another moment was seeing a Devo on Saturday Night Live. Oh my God, I remember that too. Which was that was like, whoa, what is this? When I they were doing attention. Uh, no, it, I think, oh no, no, they were doing We Are Devo. Uh, no, they, it was Satisfaction. <gasps> oh my God. Okay, okay, yes. Get me no. They turned that song inside out, and I was like, wow, we better better pay attention to these guys. And then um, the other time, uh, this was quite historical, when they were on tour for the Sandinista record. The Clash. And, yeah, and we'll ask Donna about this because she's probably one of the types of people who were at one of these shows. They did like two weeks straight at Bond International Casino in Times Square, and I got tickets. The Clash like, were there for two weeks? Yeah, they booked one, but the slimy promoter or something sold twice as many tickets, so they had to honor all the tickets, so they did two weeks of shows. <laughs> Apparently, it almost broke the band, but the show I saw, uh, the warm-up act was... Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Oh my God! And these guys come out on stage, and it was it was hectic because a lot of these, even these punk fans, were not ready for that. These this whole hip, you know black hop, folks with turntables on hip, hip, hop, and right? it got ugly. They were throwing empty beer bottles, and Joe Strummer had to come out and wag the finger and say, "Uh uh-uh, uh, if you don't stop this, the Clash are not going to play tonight." Yeah, they wanted their rude boys. And so that was kind of, it was like, this. that was another moment where it's like, 
look, you may not understand this, but this is here now, and you better pay attention because there's a message here. That's really so cool. So that was wild, and I was, I was scared for my safety that night. Well, you know, I, I personally, and that's Mick Hargraves who's uh, speaking, you know, music has always been so important to me. Like, just so, I, I feel it viscerally, and mm-hmm. there are songs that just affect me, but I was not a cool kid. You know, I was, I was a little, I was skipped a couple of grades, I had braces and glasses, I was overweight, I was the youngest one always, um, last one picked for every team um but that was okay i had one brief shining moment of absolute glory which was you know my my stepfather's british so we would go over to england every summer and i got the first police the police's first album Mm -hmm. and i heard rock you know roxanne like way before anybody else it wasn't even being played on radio stations here and i brought it back Mm -hmm. so for like one brief moment in 10th grade i was the absolute coolest kid as far as music goes like that was my moment because i just as much listened to show tunes like to me you know my version of of I don't know, TV or liner notes was reading the back of, of Broadway albums and it'd be like, and then, you know, Fiorella LaGuardia did this and then they all sing The Little Tin Box and I would put it on that then <laughs> listen to The Little Tin Box and then I would take it off and read the rest of the story and then put on the next song and, and that was kind of, I just wasn't a, a cool kid with music but I loved music so much and, and I was lucky enough to be part of all those really cool like new wave and punk. I mean, I was down at CBGBs. I saw television. I saw Blondie. I was like, on. Ooh, I mean, you're very I saw, lucky. Yeah, really, really. I saw the Plasmatics. I'm trying to think of all the bands I saw. Most of them I don't remember because I was really, really drunk <laughs> and high. But I had so much fun down there, and I'm so lucky that I was part of that a little bit, kind of on the edge of that kind of under underbelly. Which of course Donna was right in the middle of it. And Donna Gaines is going to be talking to us about it in a few minutes, but. Um, Tell me, tell me like more. So with you, Mick, I mean, so what influenced you becoming a musician? Um, Did you have a hero or something? Uh, well, you know, growing up on the Beatles, just like everybody else, we don't even have to talk about that. Right. Um, and then my dad and his family were all into the very, into the big bands. So, you know, Tommy Dorsey with Sinatra and, and Benny Goodman and, you know, the Benny Goodman Sextet and all the iterations of that. So there was already, like, great music in the house. And my mom uh, and her family were the ones who sang harmonies while doing the dishes. They were from West Hempstead. My dad's family's from Floral Park. Right. Um, so then uh, when Apple Records re-released all the Beatles stuff on Apple... I mean, there were re-releases in the early 70s. He was buying up all that vinyl. And Your then, dad was? Yeah. And I, he, well, he was putting me to bed with Meet the Beatles, like, when I was, you know, a toddler. Yeah, you know, He's actually, like, shut I up, mean, kid. Go to bed here. Bam. And my, my parents also raised me on Beatles, CCR, Ry Cooter, Maria Muldauer, Linda Ronstadt. Like, that's the music that was always playing, because my stepdad yeah. is a designer, so he, he's an yeah, artist. You, so were way, you were way deeper. I, we had, like, the Bob Dylan's greatest hits... Rolling Stones, Hot Rocks, and then the entire Beatles catalog. So that's the door I walked in. So, uh, but then when you get to college and you get into college radio and you're listening to records with everybody in the dorm, it's just a million doors just open up. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, music is just such, it's like the great 
equalizer. I mean, when when everybody gets together and listens to music that they love, and we're going to talk to Dr. Donna Gaines really soon about, you know, I mean, she has this new book, Why the Ramones Matter, but she's written other books about kind of teenage angst and, you know, the Misfits Manifesto and Teenage Wasteland, books about suicide and youth and but it all ties together music I mean and I don't mean in like the satanic way like music is going to make you you know commit suicide I don't mean that I mean more in, in the other way that it's the great um the great bringer together sometimes music can bring oh uh, sure people it's, as, it's as simple as oh my god you like that band too right I'm not alone exactly yeah, there you go that's an amazing thing especially um, when it's that cool new band and you're like the only two or three people who know about it and you're like whoa we're you know yeah, we're 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 hot shit. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I had that one brief moment with the police where I mm-hmm. was where I was that person. Right. And then it just like 15 minutes later I was on the back burner again. But I still have that kind of visceral reaction to music, you know? What what are like what are some other like recently what is what are some what is what's some music that you've heard Mick that's really given you it that blew visceral? me away? Yeah. Um uh, I was recently on tour with uh, Pete Mancini. And we right, were out, it's we were out for about right? a week. Yeah, he's an Americana artist. He's recording at my place now. And um, we were down in Nashville and back, and he put on a CD by the, the Flat Five of Chicago. See? I'm Don't know cool, him. I'm the cool kid. Yeah, you are the cool kid in the room. And, of course you are. And by the time Pete played it in the car, that record was already like a year and a half old, so he was on it before me. But it's kind of, the, the Flat Five is kind of like the pure sugar pop NRBQ record of now. And they're fantastic. And they're, it's this like superstar group. They're all off doing their own thing. Two of them are in NRBQ. So they don't get together often, but I recommend the Flat Five. Oh, cool. Well, there, then uh, we have thing. Mick Hargraves recommends the Flat Five. Mm-hmm. So listen, we're going to take a little break. We've had a little chance to get to know each other. This is Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Mick Hargraves today, because Alex Socolow is off in, like, Europe or something. I don't know what he's doing. Something having to do with movies and Hollywood, no nice. doubt. But uh, we'll be right back. Uh, we're going to take you out with a little Ramones. We're going out where the days are short and the nights are long. And I walk, I and I walk, I and I and I and I fly. Well, I say have been fun In the one California sun Well, I'm going out west down on the coast Well, the California girls are really the most And I walk, I never walk I choose, I never choose And I shoot it, I never shoot And I fly, I never fly Well, I say have been fun We're all rocking out in the studio. This is Bridget Leroy. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with my guest co-host, Mick Hargraves. Hi. Hi, and we're just having so much fun. I mean, how can you not listen to the Ramones and just have this feeling of just wanting to jump up and down? We're all jumping up and down in the studio. So much fun. And I want to bring on our our special guest, Dr. Donna Gaines. Hi, Donna. Hello. Hello. Hello, old friend. Um, It's such an honor to talk to you about this because we've been having conversations about everything in the world for like the last 20 years. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Donna is like one of the super coolest people I've ever met because not only is she this incredible 
writer who's written these books about, you know, which my kids have read about like teenage angst and, and, and music and all of these things. But you're also, you have a doctorate or two, right? I just the one. Just the well, one is an, okay, God, I'm so disappointed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, you know, covered with ink and you surf and you're just like the coolest person. And you were just part of this counterculture movement. So tell me, I mean, the the question you probably have heard a million times and you don't want to say anymore because it's the name of your frickin' book, but like why the Ram- why do the Ramones matter to you? Why do they matter to me? Uh, that's such it's the hardest question in the world to ask any fan because their first response could be they matter because they're the Ramones. Right. Do I have to draw you a diagram? <laughs> and uh, you know, like what about it don't you get? Um, but if you ask me, and I'm, my name is Donna, and I am a sociologist, uh, it, it raises the question of how, what do the Ramones mean to us? How do they matter historically, socially, culturally, creatively, right. musically, spiritually, and personally to the fan? Uh, what was their role in transforming music? That's, that's, that's the thing that really, like... And, and I want Mick to get in on it, too. But that's the thing. is like, how did they transform <coughs> what was going on? Because, uh, I mean, they, they weren't the first of the kind of that new wave. They were, they, but they they were w- the very first. They were the very first. The undisputed very <laughs> first. <laughs> um, Shut up, Bridget. <laughs> no, uh, no, because, uh, you know, I, I actually, in the first chapter is called The Mission, and it's a very lengthy uh, pounding the reader with evidence to sh- <laughs> make my point, because I'm from Rockaway Beach, by the way. Oh so yeah, really? Yeah. I never would have guessed. <laughs> she's, she's wearing a shirt that says Long Beach. Everybody. Yeah. Just well, yeah. yeah right. Well, it's if we take it back to the beginning, how did the Ramones get on your radar? What was that moment? Well, a lot of those, you know, I, I think that I was in my early twenties, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> I was driving around Long Island in like an F-85 Oldsmobile, and I heard The Clash come on the radio, Police and Thieves. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, it was Junior Mervyn. It was a reggae song. And I was thinking, this is an interesting song. And then I started to hear all this different music. But the Ramones had a completely different uh, impact on me. I was always a hyperactive kid. I could never sit still. Oh. I was always restless. And neither bored. of us can relate to that. Perfect, perfect <laughs> you know, music for that. And I was the kid hanging out on the street corner that your parents didn't want you to hang around with. So everything about the sound, it was so fast and so, it was like, I, I'm, I can remember the first time that I heard the Beatles. And I knew that it was the beginning of something and the end of something else. Mm-hmm. And when I heard the Ramones, I really had that same response. It just calmed me down. It was like Ritalin because it was so fast that mm-hmm. it just, you know, it had that, that opposite effect, something so fast that it absorbs you so completely. It was, imme- it was immediate for you. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what song you first heard? Uh, you know, I just want to say to the to the listening uh, audience and my hosts that uh, a lot of things I, I don't really remember <laughs> <laughs> from the days. Uh, I get I could, it. I could blame it on the ocean, but you guys could do the math and <laughs> figure it out. But uh, I actually, you know, uh, I it just to me was one big exciting explosion of everything. Everything changed. Clothing. I am, by the way, my name at the time, I'm, I'm, you know, Donna Gaines. 
but I was known for many years as Tesserae Corpse Grinder. Right, I knew that. Because <laughs> uh, I had a boyfriend who was in a band, the Slugs, that were a Long Island-based band. And they... Um, Do you know the Slugs? Uh, when rings you? a bell. <laughs> Are you serious? Nate, who was in the band? Uh, Raymond Jalbert, uh, um, Lenny Lasers. No. Um... Mark uh, and Greg, uh, no. they also played, you may know them from when the, the Corpse gr that was the Slugs, the Corpse Grinders overlapped with them, and that was Rick Rivets, who was descended from the New York Dolls via Ke Killer Kane, wow. and also uh, Paul Blackard, who played with Fat Steakin. Oh my uh, gosh, we're just going through like this litany mm. of like yeah, the hot punk. knows all about like, this. But like, but just, to, just to clarify how the Ramones got on your radar... Could, do we have a, a, a now defunct radio station to thank for a lot of that? We yes. will thank now and forevermore WLIR right. FM, the greatest radio station, the pride of Long Island. And they those people are still keeping the faith that the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. and uh, There's the documentary that's out now. The do what documentary? documentary? La About Larry Dunn, Larry the Duck is still broadcasting. WLIR, there's a, there's a greatest film documentary out now. There is, really? That is so cool. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I listen to WLIR, too. I mean, yeah, that's just amazing. And by the way, we're on WPPB. Yeah, we are on WPPB, <laughs> which is <laughs> really Long Island's only NPR station. And uh, if you want to, by the way, if you want to listen to this uh and you aren't it listening to it right now, which of course makes absolutely no sense. But you can also always listen at 88. Point, well, 83WPPB.org. You can also donate if you ever want to, to support public radio, which we all want to do. Um, anyway, but back to the subject at hand. So we're talking to Dr. Donna Gaines. It's Bridget Leroy and Mick Hargraves on Sundays on the East End on WPPB. And um, what in your life... Donna, what in your life changed? Like, what what in your life changed? What you said that the Ramones were like riddling for you, which I love that idea because it is so fast and so scratchy and so... And I, maybe it had the same effect on me because I just... I had immediately loved the Ramones when I first heard them too. Um, but how do you feel like in some way they guided or channel, you call them your spirit animals in your book. So, like, did they channel some direction for you? Uh, you know, it's a long-term relationship. It's just like, got to be over 40 years, right? So I think in the beginning, it changed fundamentally. Let's just say that before the Ramones, which dovetails with meeting, you know, my soulmate, the lead singer in the band. Um, the, the Slugs. Slugs right. slash Corpse Grinders. <coughs> um, it... Um, I, w I think before that, I was like involved in these um, Leonard Skinner Southern uh, rock band cults on Long Island, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, like um, that were really it was great music, but regionally it didn't speak to me because it's Southern. It's from right. an it's another world, even though universally. And here are those boy these boys from the, like, your hometown. Yeah, they, they were surfing in Rockaway Beach. They were sniffing Carbona and glue, which I was my drug of choice in high school. <laughs> I'm a PhD lobotomy. Thank you. Oh, and we just heard lobotomies. <laughs> right, right. But um, I think that I right away uh, I was you know more gravitating towards like a biker chick type look. Because uh, that was really the only thing going on that was interesting. Remember that this was the mid seventies, right? So if it's you a little were pr little pre leather and lace, 
Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was stadium rock. It was boring. Yeah. And so you, you know, Southern rock had some adventure to it. So then I meet this guy at a party, this guy that ended up being my forever and always. And this, you know, started listening to the bands, um, changed my haircut, dyed it black for years. I know uh, this is the first time I've seen you blonde. Oh, yeah, it's platinum. <laughs> Billy Idol. <laughs> Billy Idol. So, um, I, you know, I started, I changed my name. I changed my clothing. Um, I think I had a... a job I was a social worker working with kids in the streets um, in Levittown uh, and and the transformation all of a sudden it went from uh, fry boots to spike heels from Fredericks of Hollywood (laughs) mini skirts you know that we called it the slut look back then yeah and my I I still I still rock that look by the way oh you 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 know I do no it's more like a (laughs) slut look that's me but you know I'm happily married so wait let's let's find the next milestone so you you heard the (laughs) back on track with Mick Hargreaves we're gonna call this show back on track you heard the Ramones when was the first show uh it, I think it would have been at CBGB's. Um, so lucky. I, I don't remember. Right. <laughs> I have to say I don't remember. Because I wouldn't, you know, it, like there are things that you remember, like the death of someone you love. Sure. You'll never forget that. You you might remember the first time, I'll remember the first time um, I met Joey was by a jukebox somewhere. But if you ask me what club, what right. year, what show, that's just too, that would be too much math. See, I, was, I was late enough to the party where I think my first Ramones show was probably on a campus in Buffalo, on the quad. Oh, wow. And I remember showing up and going, wow, the, the sound is awful. <laughs> You're such um, an engineer. <laughs> this, this, is, this sound system is no better than the one my band has our, at our rehearsal space. But then I was like, it doesn't matter that the sound isn't perfect because these guys are just putting it out there. There's no time between songs. None. But Mick, didn't you also see them out here? Didn't you out here no, on the island? No, the, uh, the other time I saw them was at the Ritz, the old, which is, became Webster Hall, which I guess is now closed as well. And so that... For, to see the Ramones at the Ritz is way later in the game, and that's kind of like a homecoming weekend for them. You know, it's not like where they started. Yeah, I think you know, I I, I think that I was on a, <laughs> a a blind date. Nice. And the guy took th- thought I was uh, suppo- was told that I was interesting, so he took me to CBGB's. <laughs> and <laughs> interesting. Let's put interesting in air quotes. She's. Interesting. Yeah, it didn't. But I think that was that was. I think that may have been the first show. Uh, it preceded the life-altering uh, relationship with the guy in the van, because you marry. You know, when you marry a, a band, you marry the music, and then the guy is just sort of part of it. <laughs> <laughs> we will always put the music. You know, the music is the music. Um, but uh, they. Um, I remember in, when I was in college, it was the Grateful Dead. So we're, we're right. like, possibly, a, a, you might be a Gen, are you Gen X? Are I'm you? Gen question mark, I think. You're, so Gen you, question. you're not baby boomer. But I mean, I'm the age of Joey and I'm two right. months older than Joey. Right. So we would have had similar roots. Like, sure. Yeah, that, like he would have been seeing The Who and I would have been seeing Hendrix at Woodstock. And we would have, you know... People might have uh, made fun of it, but uh, y- you know, I think uh, Joey's first um, 
thing he was um we're talking about joey ramon yeah joey joey had you know glammy and and you know glittery type um i think he was jeff starship playing at coventry in queens so there was this transition between Mm -hmm. hippie and then punk and disco was sort of dominating it and then all that album rock i have a question i actually have a question that you just reminded me because it seems like now you know is a very um stressful or or kind of a a time of upheaval in our country Mm -hmm. right now and you know punk was kind of like the tail end of watergate in some ways you know it kind of was this kind of disenfranchised you know end of the vietnam war you know end of watergate and then suddenly two years later you've got never mind the bollocks here come the sex pistols you know it's like i mean even if it was worldwide do you see either one of you mick or donna do you see the current times producing something original and creative i mean that's what i'm holding on to is that out of great pain and and out of great anger comes great art what do you think oh yeah that's out there I mean, can you elaborate <laughs> i mean yeah jeff jeff tweedy just had a shout down of just scold a fan the other night at his show some but guy I- was in the audience was yelling out kavanaugh and well, but Jeff I mean, Tweedy but without getting too like specific, I mean, do you think that there are angry young, pe- angry young men and women out there who are going to create great music out of what we're going through now, just like the punk oh, era kind of did? They already are, but there's a lot more to, to cut through, because yeah. everybody can put a song on iTunes now. Mm-hmm. Right? That's true. So there's just this vast, Olympic-sized pool of art, and we've somehow got to wade through that. To separate the wheat from the chafe. So That's a really good way of putting it. That's true, because kind of anybody can upload anything now. Yes. And so it's hard to figure out, you know, what to listen well, to. That's why we have radio stations like this one. Yes, like WPPB, 88.3 FM. But I don't want to, Donna, we'll field that question over to you, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, because I think that... Um, the exciting stuff that I'm hearing is coming from young women coming out of the Afropunk movement um, and just the, the uh, so I teach a course on social movements so there well, where know, do you teach I'm sorry um, SUNY Empire State College okay uh, social science uh, the course uh, you know one of the things in, in researching the course that um, the Antifa movement has very strong foundations, not only in anarchy, in European anarchy, uh, but also like punk attitude. Right. So that's I what I'm talking think, about. Yeah. So if you look at Me Too, and you look at um, Black Lives Matter, if you look at any of you know the the uh, progressive social movements. Um, you see uh, a very strong influence of punk, of seminal punk, which the Ramones being the seminal punk band right. that uh, kick-started the genre and schooled the Brits, by the way. <laughs> I love you, Donna. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they yeah. are the most American band. Now, within that Americanism, uh, you know, if you look at the political leanings of the individual members, um, Johnny was uh, uh, Johnny's wife was a McCain supporter. He was uh, he 
when he received his uh, um, induction into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said, God bless President Bush. I think he certainly would have been a, a Trump supporter. And he's got a, that's a strong part of their fan base. They were very careful not to exclude people. Right. Which everybody in social movements should learn to not do. Right, right. So, and it was, uh, you know, um, I think... Uh, Joey would have been just classically liberal. Mm-hmm. Marky would have leaned more towards socialist. His father was, uh, was Peter Bell, who is a very highly respected uh, labor arbitrator and labor lawyer. Right. So they ran the gamut, and the and the and I think Didi, Didi rendered unto Caesar. Didi just didn't really. <laughs> he just like didn't really have any f's to give. Right. Right. Oh you my know, gosh. About that stuff. So. The Ramones had a very broad fan base yeah. where the, their strength of their politics were about being who you are, being proud of your, who you are, that it didn't matter if you were short or fat, you didn't have to be rich, you didn't have to play like a maestro, you could be white, black. They have a very passionate, ravenously faithful fan base totally. in uh, Latin America. Really? Oh, wow. Argentina and Brazil, todos somos Ramones. <laughs> really? And yeah, those those are the fans that are the nearest That's interesting to because my heart. Um, the Rolling Stones also enjoy a rabid fan base in Argentina. Absolutely. Yeah, those kids are so are such rock and roll hearts. They are the best. Um, but if we could go back to like the, within the band, right? You had kind of a Joey versus Johnny like kind of um uh, reverse mirror image like right and didn't that come out in some of the songs namely kkk took my baby away. <laughs> well th- that's a point of contention um Th- is that murky that one uh, yeah i mean i don't really know i could uh, I, some people th- think it was you know written uh about johnny who uh, fell in love with Linda while Linda was d- was engaged to Joey? Right, it's a whole like love. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, she, you know, they Linda and John were married for twenty years. It wasn't, you know, it was true love and broke Joey's heart. Mm-hmm. And I think it made touring difficult for them. I think that that was something that was a breach in the band. Uh, but um, the other story that I've heard was that. Uh, and I have checked all the sources, and they still don't sure have a straight have. answer. That uh, John uh, had nothing to do with it. That it was written about somebody that Joey had met when he was uh, doing a little uh, tour of duty in the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. He had checked in for a while, and there was a young lady that just disappeared. And that's when he wrote, you know, this, that the song came from. But. It just, it's part of like Ramon's folklore. You have to remember that from the beginning to the end, it was Johnny and Joey. Mm -hmm. They still have principle, their heirs uh, have principle control over everything. Um, Linda Ramon for Johnny, that's, um, and then uh, Mickey Lee uh, for Joey, his brother. Uh, And that uh, they had, you know, I guess it's love hate, but I think they just. There would have been no Ramones if you look at it this way, you know. John, you had you had like, Didi was the heart. I'm sorry, Didi was the soul. Joey was the heart. Um, Tommy was the visionary. He came up with the concept, and um, 
Johnny was the balls. Johnny he propelled. He was the attack, right. Yeah. Right, yeah and yeah. then CJ crossed them over into the uh, next generation of fans. So he right. was kind of the brain, the the, I, the accountant. <laughs> I don't know what you know. No, call him. no. CJ, CJ Ramon came in in the late 80s. He right. replaced Didi. He was a bass player, extremely talented, but he was younger. He was right, from another so generation. He had these three gorgeous sisters, the Ward sisters, um, that Soundgarden and Green Day, They all those boys, yeah. Pearl Jim, like, you know, so he cultivated friendships. And um, he kind of, like you said, he kind of like bridged the gap to the next generation. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know what, speaking about next generation and younger people, we're going to take another little break, listen to some Ramones. We're going to come back and talk about youth and young people and uh, sociology and I and but it's going to be interesting and fun and sad and poignant so please come back with Bridget Leroy and Mick Hargraves here on Sundays on the East End with our special guest Dr. Donna Gaines sorry and why the Ramones matter and lots of other cool stuff we'll be right back gabba gabba hey everybody welcome back this is Bridget Leroy you're listening to Sundays on the East End with my special guest host Mick Hargraves hi hi from Manorville and the Lantern sound recording rig mm-hmm. and um, our special guest today is Dr. Donna Gaines who uh, is the biggest Ramones fan in the entire world and also brilliant enough to write about it repeatedly and has written for everything the village voice you've written for every publication around just about um, you're nodding. They can't see oh. that on the radio, Donna. <laughs> yeah, you know, Spin and Rolling Stone, yeah. the Village Voice, Newsday. Yeah, you've you've definitely gotten around. And but one of the uh, other subjects besides music is you really are. I mean, I hesitate to th- use the word expert because I know how modest you are, but you are. You're an expert on on youth, and um, you know your book, um, The Misfits Manifesto, w- was like a cult classic of teen angst and and you know t- i, I want to talk a little bit about that because uh and mick will have something to say about this too uh, you know talking about uh youth um suicide um it, we're you know it's difficult because this is a basically an upbeat show but this is something that is not something that's upbeat but a lot of it has to do i know that we, you and i have talked about lgbt community of teens um, and b- and which brings us to bullying um, and all that stuff. I really want to get your take on it because this is one of your um, you're a maven on this. So please tell me what is the solution? What is the problem? And and how can we solve it? Um, well, yeah, there's a little black dog in the studio. <laughs> Fred, everybody <laughs> knows Fred. Fred is a key, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I think young youth alienation is something uh, that's been with us since, you know, post-World War II. Um, and my in my first book was called Teenage Wasteland, Suburbia's Dead-End Kids. Right. And that was written uh, to try to make sense out of a quadruple 
youth suicide that took place in the late 80s in North Jersey. Uh, and um, a lot of it, you know, I'm a sociologist, so at the time everybody was blaming it on Satan and heavy metal music and uh, messed up family life and uh, the kids themselves and drugs. And, and I just said, like, that, that if it's one person, then maybe psychology can answer it. But when you have four people doing it together, that's, that's, a, that's a social yeah. group. And that's a social, a sociolo- that warrants a sociological uh, explanation. So I studied, you know, some of the things we're seeing the seeds of it now as that the kids growing up at that time uh, are now in, you know, uh, in their late 40s and 50s uh, dealing with uh, addiction and, and suicide and overdoses. At the time, uh, we were going through disinvestment. A lot of the uh, American working class, particularly the, the white non-affluent mm-hmm. working uh, class, were losing jobs because factories were going overseas and people just, did, you know, were not able to inherit the great traditions of, like, you know, my The father. American dream. Well, yeah, they couldn't get right. close to it and they were relegated to service sector jobs that were low-paying and dead-end. And then in the school, they were like starting to track people into winners and losers. You're going to college. You can go to, you know. Right. Uh, hell. Yeah, <laughs> hell in it. I could say that on the, uh, the uh, just uh, on the yeah. FCC. Right. <laughs> you go to hell in a handbag. And, um, and people really ended up lost, really, really all dressed up for the future with nowhere to go and angry. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the seeds of that now in this country, if you really want yeah. to look at that. But um, suicide, for, to me, will always be a social statement, even if people are dealing with depression, even if people are being overly medicated and the side effects of big pharma are killing them, or they have really bad abusive families or abusive... And they see no way out. ...bullying in the schools that nobody does anything about. Let's flip it and talk about the other side. Let's talk about the bullying and the anger and the violence, because you're also an expert on youth violence. That's one of the things that you're known for. I mean, you go around and you give many, many lectures on on teen violence, youth violence, um, what what's the takeaway? I mean, is it because of that? Um, you think it really started from like tracking and losing those jobs to overseas and that kind of well, anger? I, think in that pati- I mean, that, that was started a, it. That was a case study of a particular sector. Right. But if you look at, you know, like certain things, isolation, feeling worthless, um, hopeless, those are all, that can hit you anywhere you live. It's more prevalent in suburbs and rural areas. Uh, urban kids have um, more more uh, outlets and more. Oh, well, I think it's yeah, and it's also like if you can say, well, you know, I feel like crap because I'm a member of a disenfranchised, oppressed minority. You have an explanation. You have a political agenda. You have you can pick up books from by for right. years and years. But if you're if you're white. You think it's your country, so if you're a loser, it's got to be your fault, right? Right. So that that's kind of, but but that's specific to a case study. There, what's going on now with the bullying, <coughs> with bullying, um, is uh, I think we just, you know, I think there are with school shootings, which is also something that I, I think about and write about. Um, we have. 
I don't think that um, young people are getting what they need. I don't think families are getting the support they need. I don't think schools are getting the support they need, the resources they need. And I think they are, uh, a lot of the educators have their heart in the right place, but they are light years away from the cultural experience of the generation that they serve. I want to bring Mick into okay. the conversation um, because I know he's got a few things to say. I mean, that's all great. I just want uh, Mick to offer both, um, you know, a little bit about your own experience with well, violence or with... Yeah, but the violence that was visited upon me uh, wasn't youth-driven or bullying-driven. No. Bullying so I don't know how much that applies here, but what you were saying, Donna, seemed to be a recurring theme is that uh, the, the feeling of aloneness and not having things addressed. Uh, yeah. Th the isolation. Yeah. Right? And uh, I, g I get the impression from a lot of these kids that n they, while they may feel uh, depressed to the point of feeling suicidal... Uh, no one's addressing that conversation isn't happening is it and because but do you think it's because they they're not alone? they're not saying to someone i i mean they're they're well, not saying i feel sure. suicidal there's a stigma there if you right people they are afraid to speak they might not even know up. what the feelings are i don't right. think i could name my feelings till i was in middle age i know? don't think i can right. name my feelings <laughs> now <laughs> i came but in today and i was like i just what I'm you feeling. feel like crap and this shame shame is a big part of it shaming Right. Well, but sh feeling ashamed, shame right. ashamed. In other words, that you know what I heard the difference. It's that I, I heard this once is that guilt is is the feeling over something that you've done, and shame is the feeling over who you are. Absolutely. So, so guilt you can sometimes get rid of by by doing a good deed or like somehow reversing it. But mm -hmm. shame is so deep because it has to do with your identity. It's who you are, and feeling ashamed. And then that can lead to feelings of worthlessness or whatever. Mm. But, you know, Mick's sister is on this show that took off. It was huge. Um, well, it's interesting that you bring that up because... Um, well, say the title I, I, of it because I, I don't want to get it it's, wrong. It's 13 Reasons Why on, on Netflix. And I go around with Fred the dog, which is really my sister's dog. Amy Hargraves. Amy Hargraves. And I'm, I don't purport to speak for anybody involved with the show, whether they're writers, producers, or cast members, as, as my sister is. But I introduce Fred the dog, and they're like, whose dog is it? Uh, oh, it's my sister's. She's an actress, and when she gets busy, I mind the dog, and, and oh, who is she? And when I bring up 13 Reasons Why to the kids, their jaws drop to the ground, and they're like, really? And they become dead serious in a minute, in a, in a moment, I should say. I, have I, I haven't I seen the impression, it. But I get the impression that this, this network series about bullying in the school, which is greatly enabled by technology nowadays. Uh, bullying in the schools, driving someone to s suicide, and, and having a show address that. It, these kids, that show is the only place for them to go to deal with this. And which is weird to me, that like it, it takes a TV show to address that. Yeah, it's not unusual though for art to be the place where people work out these feelings. Mm -hmm. um, the schools just... Um, and I don't want to put a blanket statement that all no, the schools not. are failing, but not. the school environment somehow isn't making that connection. The subculture is, um, the youth subculture is, um, and and TV, Netflix or, or Netflix you know what are those those shows. secondary TV stations that aren't network TV mm -hmm. or you know what I mean are also addressing it. Well, there's not a lot of suits. There's not as many suits 
in the way, meaning executives. Right. At, for now. It's kind of like NPR. To, to say no to things. So maybe these issue-based things are getting a green light quicker. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think that young people um, are, are feeling increasingly isolated right. and, so, and, and atomized. In other words, it's just me against the world. And then there's a culture of cruelty that has been allowed to flourish, mm-hmm. a culture of bu- bullying yeah. that um, it just seems to go uh, to be like, uh, I don't know how people get through the day. I really don't. Um, and many do. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of strength. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of yeah. people who are very damaged. Early. And it's not just kids. I mean, adults bully each other as well. Yeah, and I don't it, even mean like our, our vision of two people who are political opposites yelling. I'm just talking about like, you know, gentle, gentle, quote unquote, ribbing at the office about people or like everybody in the I, I see it. It's like office politics, like everybody will just kind of like suddenly kind of gang up. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's some kind of like animal instinct or something. And I'm just completely uh, against that. Yeah, I don't I don't you know, I mean, just go for a drive uh, <laughs> yeah. like just and see what, you know, with that, you know, there there's. One of the things about being uh, alienated and damaged in high school and in your family, you can grow up to be like very awesome, much like the Ramones. Each of, I think, half of them were high school dropouts or at least MIA. Yeah. The other two graduated. I think Tommy and John graduated. I don't know about Joe. Certainly not Dee Dee. And um, well, that's what that's so, that's a really cool point that you're making, yeah. Donna, because it's so true. I mean, I I see parents. I mean, I kind of let my kids kind of you know fail on their own and kind of like I'm, I'm the opposite of I'm an underbearing parent you know I'm not a helicopter parent you know my kids and I kind of let them do it I have a trans son I have you know none of my kids identify as purely like straight or cisgendered I have three amazing kids they're all out doing their own thing and I'm so proud of them but you know this I ha- I do know parents who are so like overly concerned their kids get bullied once on the bus and they're so terrified and I'm like but you know, do you think Woody Allen wasn't bullied? I mean, this is like what makes people sometimes, as long as you get them through it and they have someone they can talk to and you can even make light of it, I don't know, that maybe it hardens the spine and and, and makes them more creative? Or, well, sure, because you know? if you're Joey Ramone and you're getting, you're taking all sorts of stuff while you're in school, getting bullied and all that, and then he winds up being the Pied Piper of, hey, we accept you. Well, this Come is, with us. I think this is the thing that if you ask me what appealed to me besides the sound, it would be, you know... The inclusion? Well, the, you know, I, the second chapter, the book is called Ministry, and they, they had a mission which was to reclaim rock and roll for young people and to grab, seize the airwaves. And then they had a mission which was mm-hmm. to uh, draw in the outsider from the margins. They wanted to say to every kid who feels like a weirdo, Gaba gaba, we accept you. We accept you. <laughs> one of us, and yeah. I think so true. F- for me, that you know, because I you know, childhood for me was torture. I was the kid you you know didn't want to like nobody wanted to sit next to. I was a fat girl, and the only thing that really saved me was alcohol and street street gangs. You know, go out with the guy that's the toughest guy in the school. Right. Well, he wasn't even in the school on the street, and then nobody's gonna tease you. You know, and um. And then drugs, you know, that was the only thing. And it shouldn't really be that way. That should be, there should be better alternatives for American kids. Right. 
kids everywhere in the but world. But look where, what you've accomplished out of that. So out of your, I mean, you, you know, for you at least, you know, pain was the touchstone of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, but also I think a lifelong uh, interest in developing a theory of worthlessness that's sociological and not psychological. Like, I don't feel, like, in other words, we don't feel worthless because we had parents who said, you're a piece of, sh you know, crap, which may be part of it. Um, but there's something much bigger and much deeper in the culture, rooted in the culture, that makes us feel less than and then motivates us to then overaccomplish materially and if we have the right support system because you can't I don't think that you can go on to accomplish if you're feeling worthless um, and I mean you can push yourself for sure but it really helps to have someone someone anyone in your corner well, you a just friend need, you or need one person that thinks that you're worth something or a band I was gonna say our band that believes you're worth something and that's I think right. that's exactly because right because I Nick. came from the other angle I, I had a great upbringing I, I was like you know, I hung out, I had friends. You were normal. And I was kind of pretty normal. And like... You are literally the only person then, I've ever met. Then I was normal. like, oh, look at these Ramones. They're, 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 for, they're telling people who are not accepted to be accepted, which was like, then I realized, wow, there's some people that aren't accepted. So that was enlightening to me too, in a way, but just from the other angle, because I was always accepted. It makes you realize, hey, you know, there's people out there that aren't like me. And, and did that not, change you in some way? And they're not getting accepted. Mick, did that change you in some way and well, make you reach you, out? Bring, did it, you, did you reach out to the weirdos? And no, the I mean, you go to the punk shows and you're like, wow, look at these. These freaks are beautiful. You know, it, it just exposes you to all these different types of people. And you're, and you're like, wow, look at all these people. And they're all pogoing together. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the thing about, you know, Music, I because I'm a sociologist before I'm even a music critic or journalist. The most important thing to me is the creation of community and subculture, and I teach a course at the school, youth community and culture, and it applies not just to punk genre but also hip hop. A lot of my students are from the islands, so reggae culture, right? And how much meaning subculture gives kids and how much how much how vital to us community is and when you said that support system that network you might not have it at home or at school right your parents might be working too hard you know because they can you know they're just um, 40 jobs like right, a lot right. of families your teachers might be overextended with over big classrooms so you know you, you know everybody's sort of getting a little bit systematically neglected uh, psychotherapy now is just medication. It's not anything with heal having to do with healing whatsoever. And um, but what Mick said, if you hear a song or it. a band you that belong. speak to your heart, then You're you open. have found your totem. Well, that there was literally a song called psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is all they want to do to me. Yeah, Ramones. Yeah, so because right. they, they and Joey and Dee Dee certainly had experiences uh, with the mental health um, community early on and were misdiagnosed and uh, sedated and into <laughs> oblivion, you know, which is not as much fun when you, as when you do it yourself. <laughs> but uh, they, um, <laughs> God bless, uh, Joey died a sober man, indeed he tried. Uh, but um, they, um, you know, their, their critique of, uh, of psychotherapy, of that, of that whole, uh, inst you know, like institutionalized corporate horror 
is riveting. It's brutal. We're going to take a really quick break, and we only have a few minutes left. But when we come back uh, with our guest, Dr. Donna Gaines, I want to hear about when you actually got your chance finally to meet the Ramones and talk to them face-to-face and what that was like. You're listening to Sundays on the East End here with Bridget Leroy and Mick Hargraves. We'll be right back on WPPP 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. Okay, so we're back <laughs> listening to Psychotherapy. It's Bridget Leroy. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with me and my guest host, Nick Hargraves. And we're like talking to Dr. Donna Gaines, sociologist, surfer girl, far rockaway, Ramones loving, cool person. And uh, we want to talk to you about, I mean, we're kind of wrapping it up now. I want to hear about, you know, after years of being a fan and a sociologist and dissecting the music of the Ramones and getting down to the music of the Ramones, you've, you know, you did finally get a chance to interview them and or meet them, right? Well, yeah. And um, I want to hear about that. So I, I think, I, w- I, I guess I was a fan from the mid-70s, you know, whenever they broke uh, with the first album. Um, and then um, just went on with my life. And then uh, I was writing for the Village Voice and I walked into the editorial offices to pick up my check one day and I got pulled over by Ann Powers, the music editor, and she said, Donna, the Ramones are going to retire. Do you want to interview them? This is like in the mid-90s? 1996. Yeah. And I said, I, yeah. So, um, and I was kind of like, we are not worthy. <laughs> and um, I had met Joey a few times at the clubs by the jukebox, and uh, they were always very friendly. Mark was, uh, you know, a very friendly. The Mark uh, Bell, Marky Ramone, who brought a real muscular sound to the band. But um, I, you know, so I w- had an interview with all of them. So and what was like, What was? Well, I mean, were you nervous on your way there? Or were you feeling like, I mean, because these were like your spiritual guides in, uh, so much of your life. Um, yeah, I think I met, you know, I think th- th- I had a different experience with all of them. I mean... Talking to Didi was really like being in Bible study because he had the pure heart of a child, and he was a genius. So whatever um, Didi uh, talked to you about, it, it was just truth from the heart, and it was disarm- he was disarmingly charming that way. Um, John, when I met him, I met him in a public place at the Empire Diner in Chelsea. So you didn't interview them all on no, mass? No, no, you, you really, you them yeah, separately. no, no, yeah, you, no, that would have never worked. <laughs> Uh, although they did some very good television interviews as a group, but uh, no, at this point it was, you know, so he, uh, so John was very matter of fact, very professional, very helpful, patient, uh, very generous towards fans, kept coming up to him for autographs. Uh, but I always, you know, I, I always remember most clearly meeting Joey. My mother was a lead singer. My sweetheart is a lead singer. So the lead singer is my connection. And walking into Joey's apartment, it was purple, like the cover of my book (laughs) and my shirt. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and and your your mic, your little mic snood. And Joey, it was just mystical. It was like a 12-hour interview. We just hung out all day, and we both said, he said it was like a therapy session. I said, yeah, it just felt like a spiritual retreat. 
like we just had so much in common and I think he got me right away and I got him right away and he made up a name for me he used to call me Dieter but it would be Dieter, Dieter, <laughs> and, uh, because he was a, a big in, investor in stocks, and uh, he bought By some... Maria Bartiromo. Mar- yeah, Maria <laughs> Bartiromo. Uh, he bought something, a Chrysler stock, so Dieter something was the head of Daimler Chrysler at the mm-hmm. time. So he started calling me Dieter and guy, and so you know, <laughs> but uh, so you got so it's weird. Like you had like your totem, and it was like you were gifted a name by your by your spiritual yeah. guide. <laughs> and he was, we became really good friends. He used to come out to the East End here and to see his father. He stayed with me when I lived on Gerard Drive. Oh my God, that's so cool. We went to like galleries. We went to Alex Echo's gallery when he had that in East Hampton. I remember that. Uh, we were upstate. You know, we were all over the place. Um, and I got, you know, I got to know all of them. I got to know Mark and his, uh, you know, uh, that's a whole world. And uh, I just want to, uh, Mick, did you have anything you well, want to Well, and anyone I've ever spoken to who met the Ramones, they all, they all tell me, oh, my God, they were so nice. And one particular person who saw them at CPI right here. Canoe in Place Inn, way yeah, back. Uh, said they were so nice. And we didn't have a ride home, so Joey's dad gave us a ride home. <laughs> yeah. yeah and basically that's like family. Yeah. Once you got involved with them, you were never going to get away. You know, they just were, they were exactly who, you, who they are. They were never assholes about being rock stars. That was built into their ethic. They would just be nice to the fans because they valued the fans, and they were the fans. They really related to them. They always felt like they were the same as the fans. Even the clothing and, you know, the black leather jacket with the jeans and the sneakers, they wanted to make sure people could afford the clothes, look good in them no matter what, wear them to work, didn't have to get all douched up with the hair (laughs) to go to school. (laughs) That's so great. They really were the real deal. And how how often do we really get that except in, you know, our Ramones? We have had such an amazing time learning and listening and uh, talking with Dr. Donna Gaines, whose latest book, Why the Ramones Matter, it's part of a series. There's also Why the Beach Boys Matter, and, it, and it's based on, uh, who, who did the book, the first one, Why Sinatra Matters? Yeah, Pete Hamill's, it was right, a Pete bestseller Man- in the 90s, Why Sinatra Matters, so our series is based on that. And it's out of University of Texas, is the Yeah, press? Our, our series is the University of Texas That's press. awesome. That's so great. I've had so much fun, Donna. I, I love you. You're a dear friend. And Mick, I've been... I feel like I have a new friend. Yeah. Don, well, then her name is Donna. Oh. Yay. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's it. I just want to say, hey, ho, let's go. And you we know? have the Ramones to blame. Really. <laughs> <laughs> we have the Ramones to thank, you mean. Anyway, uh, this has been really, really fun as always. And thanks, special thanks to Kyle. This is Bridget Leroy. You're listening to Sundays on the East End. And I thank my special guest host, Mick Hargraves. You're welcome. And wonderful, wonderful thanks and flowers at the feet of the brilliant and wonderful, cool Dr. Donna Gaines and her book, Why the Ramones Matter. This is 88.3 FM, WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station. And we'll be back next week with Alex Sokolow. Thanks for listening. Funding for Sundays on the East End is provided in part by CP Complete Construction and Renovation, with additional support from the independent and from just beyond infinity, Googleplex. Stay around in my old hometown. I don't want to put no money down.
Senhor.